When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Hello, and welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. My name is Austin, also known as Teacup. And my name is Shelby, also known as SheCup. Join us as we embark on unraveling all of your favorite mysteries from the Assassin's Creed universe. From Assassins to Templars to the mysterious Isu and more, we will seek to uncover it all. So join us and maybe even take a leap of faith. Hello and welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. My name is Shelby or Cup. I'm one of your co-hosts for this show. I'm super, super, super excited to be here. And I'm also here with my other co-host, Austin, and I'll let him introduce himself. Yeah, so I'm Austin, also known as Teacup, and I'm excited to be here. Me too. So we're talking about Isu. We've been talking about Isu um, for the past couple of weeks. I'm hoping... I'm hoping that we're going to get into talking about specific Isu now. Well, your wish will be granted because we are talking about specific Isu. We are starting with the one we know the most about. And I will be, I will preface this in the series that there is not a lot of information about individual Isu, even the ones that we have seen in the games and met and talked to. And so I've got the one we know the most about the one who is in the most games, the one who directly affects the plot, none other than the mother of wisdom herself, Juno. Awesome. So I have a quick question before we get started. Uh Uh-huh. You just said that most of, like, the Isu that we know about, even when they're in the game, we don't still don't know a lot about individual Isu. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? I think that it's just about to kind of keep the era in mystery. Um, It's like this still mysterious, those who came before precursors, first civilization, the Isu. Uh, The most interaction that we actually get with Isu one-on-one directly are in Odyssey and Valhalla. And we'll talk about that when we talk about those Isu, because those have more interaction with and pulling a lot from fate of atlantis dlc Mm -hmm. is going to explain a lot cool well are you ready to get started just jump right into it yeah let's do it okay so juno was born in a city called fayan 
in 2195 of the Isu era. Now, for a little kind of math, minus 600 is around 70,000 BCE. So this would be almost 3,000 years after that. That's a long time ago. Yes. So Juno was born around 60,000 BCE is probably what that is in reference to. And so she was born there. And that's really all we know. And this is the point. We've never really seen a child, Isu. We've seen, they're, they're always adults when they present to us, fully grown in this point. And, but this suggests that they are born. Right. But we know they have to be born, right? Because of Isu-human hybrids. Yes. But that doesn't mean Isu have to be born. The god, well, I guess it depends. Like the Greek gods were born. This is a this is a difference between little semantic between something being immortal versus eternal. Like for the Judaic Christian Muslim world, their God is eternal, meaning that that God has no beginning and no end. The God has always existed. The Greek gods are immortal, meaning they have a beginning point, but they don't have an end point. Right. Like that's a that's a pretty significant difference, but. It not, doesn't necessarily feel intuitive. No. So uh, that's all we know about Juno before the Project Anthropos, which we talked about last episode was the project to create humans. So after that project, Juno, before she is the mother of wisdom, and her husband, Aita, began experimenting on humans, which is a direct defiance of Poseidon's logs for Atlantis. And the two are then exiled from Atlantis. And that's all we know from Juno pre the Isu human war. But even even before this, we see Juno being set up as this person who does not hold humanity in high regard. But that's so that's not much that we know about her, though. No. And we have that from the Fate of Atlantis DLC, Judgment of Atlantis. And just kind of what we know about that. And what you interact with there. And then they like pile humans all together and create a hundred hands, which is a monster from Greek mythology that just has a hundred hands. And so that's all we know. Not very much. No. It's really interesting that we know so little about their early lives. But I guess at the same time, it it makes total sense that we don't know that much about their early lives because, like, that's not the part that influences the story that they're telling, either the modern day story or the memories that you're reliving. Right. And, like, how much do we know about Alexander the Great's childhood or Julius Caesar's childhood or... Mm -hmm all these Augustus series. I mean, we know a little bit about Octavian or Augustus Caesar's childhood or even just like general historian people that we come up in this ancient world history. We don't know a lot about their childhood. And even from like another, like even ancient or from a biblical narrative, how much do we know about Abraham's childhood or Noah's or mm-hmm. like even Jesus? We don't get a lot about the childhood. They're coming to us as adults. And I think you kind of mentioned this earlier. I think that you're right, that it it is part of that like mythological hero. And I know that not all of the figures you mentioned are myths, 
but that kind of idea that we don't necessarily want to know every detail of every hero's of our hero's lives, you know, like mm-hmm. in the Bible, when Jesus goes back to his hometown, the people that he grew up with are like, why do you think you're so good now? Like, why do you think you, you're the son of God? You know, so it's that kind of principle mm-hmm. to me. Right. So back into Juno's history. So what we do know is that about 300 years after the death of Consus, Juno breaks into his laboratory and finds a prototype Shroud of Eden. And we talked about this on the Shroud of Eden episode. Juno discovers that Consus has trapped himself in the Shroud. His consciousness is in there. His essence is in there. So Juno learns all she can from Consus to further her own goals And then she just basically kind of informs him of Project Anthropos' success in the creation of humans, that which Consus thought would be impossible, which is interesting. So during the human rebellion, Juno avoids fighting, like Minerva, like Jupiter, all of them, they avoid fighting in the war. Uh, In a discussion with her father, Saturn, which, you know, tracks with Greek mythology. So Juno is Hera is Hera, and uh, Saturn is Kronos. So is Aida Zeus? No. Jupiter would be Zeus. It's it's not a one-for-one, but... um, I mean, like, I don't like Hera, but, like, support for her leaving the guy that cheats on her literally every day. Right. Saturn is actually Juno's father in Roman mythology. Which, you know, Zeus and Hera are brother and sister. Gross. Are they Targaryens? Maybe. So, we had a discussion with her father, Saturn, and Minerva, who in Greek and Roman mythology is her daughter. Well, sort of. Juno calls for the extermination of the human race, seeing them as threat. Which we talked about last episode of humans outnumbering the Isu, and they see them as a threat. Particularly the Isu um, hybrids like Eve, who are extremely powerful. So Minerva, believe it or not, argues against Juno, saying that humanity is learning and adapting in ways they could never expect, even creating art and culture. Minerva would go on to say that one day, humanity may even be treated as equals among the Isu. Well, Juno doesn't like that. She does. She definitely doesn't see that. Well, Saturn moves to agree with Minerva, but unfortunately, almost proverbial, as he's doing that, he's killed by one of his human servants. I feel like this is the point of no return for Juno. It might be. So in Juno's rage, she uses a piece of Eden that we will talk about in the future, but I didn't do in our Eden episode because it's very different and very mysterious. Koinor, a mysterious piece of Eden, she uses that to kill the human that kills her father and all the other humans around them with this strange blue lightning. This happens in the comic, and I watched the comic panel, and it literally looks like she is using force lightning to kill all of these. Uh, That's people. really interesting because the Koinor is a diamond. Um mm-hmm. And I don't know if force lightning, force lightning doesn't come from the lightsaber, but the lightsaber having that kyber crystal origin to it mm-hmm. and having like that, I just see that very similarly. 
Yes, very similar. And like a lightsaber can be used to direct and absorb force lightning. Right, right. Yeah. So that's interesting. So mad with grief, Juno claims that humans are a pox on the earth and that they will destroy everything, themselves and everything, and swears that to help the world, and she will help the world by saving humans from themselves. Which means genociding us. Probably. <laughs> I mean, we, we kind of are our own worst enemy. But I mean, no, you're not wrong. You're not wrong that, at all. That's another discussion. Mm-hmm. But again, when we talk about this last episode, I talked about that this Templar assassin debate between the freedom of humanity is much older than they are than like even that we think it of and we're seeing the parts of it here because juno's line of thinking is oh i need to save humanity from themselves Mm -hmm. because left to their own devices they're going to destroy the world right and that's everything that's so templar that's the templar line of thinking yeah 100 percent. but no i do going back to what i said earlier i do really think this is her turning point like and maybe not turning point, but like, this is the point where she can't come back from this. Like, I think earlier in her life, her mind could have been changed um, about humans, like seeing our usefulness, seeing, um, you know, good parts of humanity. But I do think this point of the killing of her father, this argument is the solidification of her belief system. And she's never going to change. Well, yeah, and we definitely see this. This is a Anders blowing up the Chantry moment that happens. Right. Um, and that's that's whole that's Anders' whole goal with blowing up the Chantry is to solidify to both sides that there is no compromise. There is no coming together. There's no coming back from this. Yes. There can be no more compromise. It is us versus them mm-hmm. mentality. And I would think... I'd have to go back and watch the scene and like look up for the comic panels of Saturn dying. But I would assume that this human is probably after the similar goals as Anders is. Sure. I mean, why yeah. else do you kill your, your master essentially? Like, right. So Juno decides to kind of become more sneaky and less, uh, let me go kill a bunch of humans right away. And less bloodthirsty. Yeah. And Minerva and Jupiter are kind of like turn a blind eye and they say, well, your father was killed in front of you. We can chalk this off to grief. Okay. Um, so she begins working with Minerva and Jupiter as the uh, Capitoline triad, as we know, to prevent the solar flare, flare from threatening Earth. Several plans were tried. None were successful. So Juno suggests to them another plan that basically recreates the work of Consus to transfer an individual's consciousness to a synthetic body. Aida volunteers for this experience, experiment. It is successful, but he is rendered catatonic and Juno is forced to basically mercy kill him. So Aida is an Isu though. Yes. Um, That's interesting. It's very much the way the scene plays out, because you see it in Assassin's Creed 3, it's very much that scene from Game of Thrones when Danny brings back Drogo and he's like not there. Like mm-hmm. his personality isn't there and Danny's forced to like kill him because it's a mercy. Yeah. It's a similar kind of thing going on here. But the, she doesn't give up this project because 
in a while, Juno has another named uh, name by Hyperion, which is in North myth- Norse mythology. So Odin comes to her looking to steal the mead, which is an artifact that will be used in the Norse Isu Sage reincarnation process. And so she uses this, she helps him steal this, and this is all done in the main story of Assassin's Creed Valhalla. So this is not from DLC, this was in the game from the get-go, from day one launch. And Odin then uses that to create his own brand of Isu Sages, and Juno kind of co-opts that for her own goals. And she also uses an Isu artifact called the Eye, which they use to kind of like make calculations into the future and like predict the future. But she uses it to communicate with humanity across the timelines, manipulating them for her own goal. Hmm. So like her communicating with Desmond in the temple. All these things are her using the Eye. Interesting. So is the eye introduced in Valhalla too, or is that something that was introduced earlier? The eye is Valhalla introduction. So it's kind of almost retconning some of the things from the past games. Sort, sort of. It's more, I would say it's more expanding than it is retconning. Mm-hmm. Sure. sure, um, sure. Because they didn't change anything that happens or how it happens or, or even why it happens. Because we've always known from Assassin's Creed 3 that Juno is manipulating humanity, like mm-hmm. that she wants to influence that. It's more, and we know that the Isu have been reaching out across time. The introduction of the eye is just explaining how that is happening. Right. But in this time, Jupiter and Minerva discover Juno's plot to basically overthrow humanity uh, and have her executed. However, they greatly discovered that Juno had trapped herself in and her consciousness in the Grand Temple, ensuring uh, her survival. And so one of the last, like, plans they had when they were creating this thing to avoid the solar flare is they were going to create towers, like really, really big towers that would basically produce an electromagnetic shield around the Earth. and it would basically like absorb and redirect the solar flare. They abandoned this because there's not enough time for them to complete it. However, they set up the grand temple to basically automate and complete this so that should it ever happen again, they can lead humanity to a point and use it to stop it, which is what Desmond does in the end of three. What Minerva didn't know until later is that Juno had stored her consciousness into the Grand Temple that once it was activated, she would be freed. So she basically begs, Minerva begs Desmond to not activate this device. Do not free Juno. Let the solar flare take out the earth. You will be in here. You can come deal with the survivors and you'll rebuild your society and we can try this again. Desmond, which this will surprise you zero, big spoiler for Assassin's Creed 3, Desmond basically says, we are not your pawns to be played with. If Juno's a threat, we'll deal with her ourselves. And he releases Juno, sacrificing himself, activating the field, and saving the Earth. But he also releases Juno in the process. 
I mean, you got to respect that. I feel like Desmond's been a pawn his whole life mm. with his father and then Warren Vidic and Lucy. And yeah. he's fed up with it. I mean, I, I totally get it. Um, and also, mm-hmm. like, not even just that, like, not even just thinking about him being a pawn his life, but thinking about he, for the rest of his life, if he sacrificed the earth, would be responsible for the deaths of billions of people, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly how many people are in the temple, but not that many, obviously. And that's something he would have to wrestle with for his whole life. And so I, if if I was in that situation, I don't know that I could make that sacrifice. No. And I think that I'm going to jump to Mass Effect for a moment because I think that it's a similar situation. So the spoilers for Mass Effect, if you have not played that, you might want to skip ahead. But there's a scene where you take Javik, when you take Javik to Thessia mm-hmm. to retrieve the the beacon or the Prothean VI that's basically there. The VI asked Javik, can they do this? And Javik's response is, they deserve to try. They've earned the right to try. And I think that's Desmond's mindset of like, your Minerva is trying to perpetuate this cycle that's going to happen. Desmond's going to come out. He's going to be a leader. He's going to create this, be this charismatic leader and create this cycle. People are going to worship him basically because he saved them from certain doom. And then the cycle will repeat itself. Desmond is basically saying, I don't care about this cycle. We have earned, we as humanity, me myself as an assassin, believe that humanity has the right to try to do this on our own. We don't need you meddling in our affairs. And I think that's Desmond's motivation. And we'll talk more about that when I do a deep dive on Desmond, because he does deserve his own and talking about his motivations. Um, Yeah. But an opposite. Oh, go ahead. If you want more about that now, you can go into Assassin's Creed Valhalla, uh, exit the Animus, play as Layla, go to your computer and there is a recording of Desmond talking about what it means to be an assassin. Mm. And it's very powerful. So on kind of an opposite side of things, though, I also get where Minerva is coming from. Because, like, the Isu created humans. They did this. So I think that she also, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily go so far as to say she just wants to perpetuate the um, cycle. But, like, I think she feels responsible for humanity. Because they created humans. And so, like, I think she feels some sort of, maybe not nurturing, but, like, she cares more about humanity's continued existence than the other Isu would. Yes, and I also think that it's also a point of not just responsibility for humans, but she feels responsible for Juno. It is Mm. her and Jupiter's oversight that leads to Juno being able to do this. So she feels responsible for that yeah but that's all i got you want to go to the mid break yeah let's do it shoot shoot the flying demon malaka 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 even now faced as i am with the truth of your cold words i refuse because i believe things can still change I may never succeed. The assassins may struggle another thousand years in vain, but we will not stop. 
So welcome to the middle of the show. This is where we talk about all the things that have to do with Assassin's Creed, but don't have to do with the lore. So this is where I tell you about all the ways you can support us, all the ways you can get more content, and we thank our patrons. So the first thing I want to do is thank our mentor, Assassin Tier patron, Keith R. We shout him out every single week. Thank you so much, Keith R. And we do have a patron... We do have a patron chat once a month. So if you are at the assassin, the master assassin tier or higher, you get to come on the show and talk about whatever topic you want to talk about on the show with us. And we're super pumped to be able to do that. And so um, we're getting ready to do that really soon. So if you want to become a patron, you should definitely sign up like ASAP. Um And then the other thing, the other way you can get connected is if you join our Discord server, we have a Cups Podcasting and More server where we talk about Assassin's Creed, Dragon Age, Star Wars, The Inheritance Cycle, all kinds of stuff. We share pictures of our dogs and memes and gifts, and it's just a great time. So um, if you are looking for a place to connect with other people who enjoy the same games that you do, definitely hop in our Discord server. The link is in the episode description. And um, we also have a review to read. Reviews, likes, shares on the show um, is a great way to support us. So if you leave us a five-star rating, we will read it out on the show. So I do have a review to read today. And this one comes from Sean Exiled from Ireland. And he says a whole new meaning to the creed. Five stars. Hey, Cups. As an avid Assassin's Creed fan and fanatic and someone who's played every game inside and out, I thought I had learned all the lore to Assassin's Creed until I was recommended your podcast by Spotify. I couldn't be happier. Your podcast and learning all about this background lore and stories has reignited my love and passion for playing Assassin's Creed. And it has made me replay all the games while having your podcast on the loudspeaker. So I'm excited to hear more about Assassin's Creed lore from you guys and hopefully hear about Shay as I'm Irish and there's not a lot of us in the Assassin's Creed games. Thanks again for the great podcast, guys. Sean. Thank you so much for the awesome review, Sean. We will definitely cover Shay. I don't know when that will be, but we will definitely give him his own character deep dive. So stay tuned for that. Um, And I think that's all I've got for the mid-break. Oh, no, I have one more thing to talk about for the mid-break, and that's that we've started a new podcast. So this new show is a book club. And we're reading one chapter a week of the Inheritance Cycle books. Those also are known as the Aragon books. And so um, it's just a book club. Read along with us. Come listen to our thoughts on the chapters. Austin is uh, kind of an expert at this book series. It's one of his favorites. And I'm reading it for the first time. So definitely come check out the podcast um, if you are interested in those books. Other than that, I think Austin, we... We can get back to the lore. And I know I was really nice to you, but actually I'm just another Templar plot twist. And yes, I would like very much for you to be controlled by a magic space wizard so that you can murder me. I am not a father anymore. I am not a husband. I am not a Medjay. I am a hidden one. Yes. We are the hidden ones. So just before we start, 
um, when we get to this app throughout. So these are going to contain heavy spoilers for the comics, particularly the Uprising comics, which I'm in the middle of reading. Uh, but if you do not want to be spoiled for those because they're on your list for reading, uh, you might want to save this episode for later and come back to this portion later. But that's your kind of warning first. So after the events of Assassin's Creed 3, Juno inhabits a place that's referred to as the gray. It's basically just the internet. It's the internet. She's living in the internet. How is that even possible though? I, I don't know. How, how do assassins fall hundreds of feet and survive just by getting hay? It's a video game. Okay, fine. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Okay. So during this time, an Abstergo Entertainment, so at this time, Abstergo has launched an entertainment division, which is all about presenting historical memories as film and entertainment. And they're doing so by obtaining the body of Desmond Miles and using his DNA to explore further of his ancestors. So this is the events of AC Black Flag. So if you don't want spoilers for that, another reason to not listen to this next part. So an Abstergo employee, entertainment employee, the main, the main modern day character for Assassin's Creed Black Flag, would be manipulated by Isu Sage John Standish. Now, John is a reincarnation of Aida, Juno's husband, which until AC Valhalla, we thought would be the only sage. That is the only Isu that's getting reincarnated. Now with Valhalla, we know that is no longer the case. To interact with Juno, so he manipulates this employee to interact with Juno in the web in the hopes that Juno would basically use the connection to inhabit the employee's body. However, this does not go. Juno basically comes in and she has this big speech about how she can feel and feel around, but she's too weak to inhabit a body. So she doesn't that. She then instructs what she refers to as her children or her instruments to construct a new body, which we'll talk about the instruments. They're called the instruments of the first will. Um, they are next episode, next week. So come back next week for the instruments of the first will, because we do need to talk about them before we go on to other Isu. So with this, eventually the Templars discover Juno in their servers and they're like, oh, the assassins didn't cause a virus. It's this Isu that's consciousness that's basically messing with our servers. And so Juno manipulates the Templars into basically co-opting their project, Project Phoenix, which was designed to create an Isu uh, to build her a body using the Shroud. So the Templars basically employ the work of the instruments of the first will, which are Juno's followers, uh, to work together using Koninor and the and Elijah Miles. Now, I put Miles, I did the quotation marks because he doesn't use Miles as his last name, but he is Desmond's son from before he was abducted from Stergo. Mm -hmm. There's also something also special about Elijah. Elijah is an Isu sage. Of Juno. Of Aida. And so they use this piece of Eden and Elijah's DNA to reconstruct Juno's body. I thought Aida was dead. No, he remember he volunteered for that 
project and then she killed him. I missed a point. So let me go back. So at some point while she's in the Grand Temple, she Juno starts manipulating a DNA sequence in humanity that basically allows Aida's consciousness to overcome the, the human. So she basically turns Aida into an Isu sage with his consciousness. Um, so he doesn't have a body. No. But he still has a mind. Yes, but he's basically being reincarnated over and over again, the same way Odin and Loki and all of these Norse Isu are. Consus. Consus is, is not being reincarnated. He exists in the Shroud. Okay. So okay. he's also dead now okay. because I gotcha. the shroud. Um, we talked about the shroud is destroyed. So they use this and they do succeed in creating this Isu body for Juno. However, Elijah is playing all of them. Elijah is pissed that Abstergo and all these people murdered his mother. So basically with an Isu sage, what we've seen with Aida, we can kind of see where the last chapter of Valhalla DLC might be going with this in Eivor, the sages of Aida have a choice of exert their own will and maintain their identity or let Aida take over their mind. Elijah asserts his own, so he is in control. He has the knowledge and the memories of Aida, but he is in control. Aida is not in control. And so he manipulates all of them and plays them all because he wants revenge for his mother's death. So he basically uses uh, the Koninor to manipulate Juno into thinking she's won and she's had all of this victory. And this distracts her enough to allow her to be killed by an an assassin that he brought with her. Uh, Otto Berg realizes all of this is going on and says, well, we can't have this. So he blows up the lab. Elijah escapes, but everyone else is dead. And Juno's body that was there is assumed to be destroyed. That's interesting. Um, So is Elijah, obviously we know he's Desmond's son, but is he an official assassin? No. Does he hate the assassins? I I, I have to read more into the comics. And when we do... uh, I'll look into more of him because he does lead the instruments of the first will at one point. So when we Mm -hmm. talk about them, we'll learn a little more about Elijah then, but he never met Desmond from what Mm -hmm. I understand. It's just really interesting. And this is not necessarily a theme, but just something I've been picking up on. So I am playing Revelations right now. And, you know, there's all these memories that you relive of Altair. Well, in one of them that I just recently played through, there's a line where somebody asks him about his father. And he basically says he was an assassin. Like he put that above me as I would essentially. Um, And then... Of course, we have Bayek's quote, which we use to intro and outro our uh, breaks in the show, which is, I'm not a father, I'm a hidden one. And so I think there is this theme of like placing the creed, placing assassins above like your own children. And so I'm just wondering if Elijah feels resentment toward that. But I guess if he never knew him or didn't have a relationship with his father, he maybe wouldn't feel that way. And it's important to note that Elijah is conceived when Desmond has left 
the assassins, like, turned his back on his father and is trying to live his life as a bartender forgetting all of this. Right. Um, And so uh, that's really all of it. Juno is officially in canon right now. Juno is dead. Officially in canon right now, she's dead. Correct. (laughs) That's all we can say. Mm -hmm. I mean, at one point, Darth Maul was officially dead in canon. And then he wasn't. And then he was again. There have been a lot of people that have been dead and then weren't. So Correct. Um, But I I have a little behind the scenes things that you can interact to just uh, learn about Juno. So Juno is first introduced in the two, in 2009 with Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. Uh, she is voiced by Canadian voice actor Nadia uh, Verucci. 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 Uh, Juno was not actually named during Brotherhood. She's never named in the game, uh, nor did her name appear during the end credits. Rather, Juno's rena- name was revealed by, uh, say it again for me. Verucci. Verucci on her website. So I I actually did notice this recently since I finished Brotherhood within the past month. Um, because it's I was like, wait, what? I was so very confused. Um, and yeah, you're right, she's not named at all. Mm-hmm. So Lucy Stillman's password to the um the Festus email network was Juno 57. Uh, as revealed in an email that Desmond received in Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. So um, I don't do a lot of the this main modern day storyline stuff. I don't do the email. Like, I, it's just not, whatever. So I didn't know this. But um, the thing I want to say is, like, do they not have an IT department that could be like, um, this is a red flag. What's going on here? So... The answer is, is that while Desmond's at Abstergo, Lucy is hiding all of that. And then later on, Rebecca is basically hiding their digital footprint from Abstergo. So that's the answer. It's a video game. Sure, Uh, whatever. (laughs) In the Assassin's Creed Revelation novel, it is stated that Ezio encountered Judo, though we don't know where or what happened, which is interesting. Um, maybe he saw her when he put the apple under the Coliseum. I guess so. Maybe. Uh, so when contacting Desmond and Sean through email in the Grand Temple, Juno initially found it difficult to send legible messages. Her name as the sender was a string of binary code, which would could be translated to display Juno. I feel like there's a movie or a TV show or something where... There's a character who's like merged with their computer or the internet. And I feel like that's what's happening with Juno right now. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, Also in her emails to Desmond, Juno's revealed there have been several memory seals, like the one that Ezio encounters with Altair, stored within the temple, likely for Desmond to view. uh, And that she had thrown them all into the abyss below the complex while waiting for him to get there. That seems petty. It seems like she doesn't, there are things she doesn't want him to know. That's putting it mildly. Uh, when Juno makes her appearance to Desmond in Brotherhood, a sinister alteration of Minerva's music from Assassin's Creed 2 can be heard. 
So that's interesting. That's some like Star Wars John Williams level of uh, soundtracks right there. Yeah. So, and then this is a fun little fact. In Assassin's Creed Odyssey, when we come across statues of Hera, Juno's Greek counterpart, they seem to be based on the statue of Hera in a proposed reconstruction of the Parthenon's eastern portion. So, interesting, interesting little fact. That is interesting. I like your little fun facts. Yeah. Any last thoughts about Juno? You know, usually when we do a deep dive on a person, I do tend to like them more than I did previously. And that is still the case with Juno, um, surprisingly, because I do feel for her and that like her father was killed by uh, a member of their household. And so like, there is a little bit of sympathy there, but like the level that she takes it to is just so extreme. Yeah. She's not a friend. Uh, I read one article where they defined her as the main antagonist of the Assassin's Creed games, which I don't really agree with, but whatever. Well, then who do you think the main antagonist is? I think it's just, I think it's Abstergo. Like, because really? It, it really just depends because in the Desmond games, so Assassin's Creed 1 through Assassin's Creed 3, those five games, it's very much that the story that we're experiencing is like through history is secondary to the main plot. Like, the issue, the urgency, the problem that's presenting itself is from the modern day storyline. And that is that Abstergo is trying to control the world. And that's still the case in the games today. Um, And now with the new one, there's a new crisis that's happening. And I think that it's hard to say that Juno is the main antagonist because for most of the games, we're not trying to foil her cause. We're still just trying to foil Abstergo and the Templars. Right. I definitely think you make a compelling argument there. But yeah, she's not nice. She's not good. She's not trustworthy. But I I don't think anyone's trustworthy in Assassin's Creed. Well, I don't think that's true. Do you think Ezio is trustworthy? Well, anyone in the modern day storyline. Do you think Desmond is trustworthy? I do think Desmond, but like anyone you like interact with outside of Desmond, Sean and Rebecca. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. I I get that. Um, And I would say Layla's trustworthy, but not. eh. Mm -hmm. But anything. Layla's got a little bit of a wild streak in her. I don't know if I would trust (laughs) trust her. Uh, Well, I have played Origin, so. All right. Well, let's wrap this thing up. Thank you so much for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. We will see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. You can find us on Twitter at Assassin's Creed Lorecast, or you could talk to us on Discord in the Robots Radio Discord or our personal Discord server. Both links found in this episode's descriptions. Thank you for listening, and always stay to the shadows to serve the light, Assassins. Welcome to Three Count Thoughts. Let me introduce the crew real quick. 
Hi, I'm Maverick Stone. I'm Romer. And I'm Jaxus. Join us as we talk all things wrestling. Each week, we'll take a topic from the wrestling world, knock it around a bit, and then go over the week in wrestling from a strictly fan perspective. We can be found on all major podcast catchers. We can also be found at 3 Count Thoughts on both YouTube and Twitter. Or you can send us an email using 3 thoughts at gmail.com. Okay, are you ready? Ring the bell.